Torture. The action or practice of inflicting severe pain on someone as a punishment, or to force them to do or say something, or for the pleasure of the person inflicting the pain. A story I will share with you this Tuesday. What was the deal with William? Why was he so angry? A cold-blooded, angry murderer, just picking off girls like they were nothing. And a detective who just when he thought he had him, he was right back on the chase again. This is the serial killings of William Lester Suff. Tuesdays with Trisha, episode 18. That's right, it's CBD Store. Located on 31801 Mission Trail in Lake Elsinore, California, this is Inland Empire's only premium CBD store. You guys, seriously, they have CBD-infused water, oils, tinctures, gummies, roll-ons, bath bombs, scrubs, lotions, so much more. You have to go check it out for your one-stop CBD shop. It's CBD Store in Lake Elstar, California. So welcome to Riverside, California for this week's episode. If you are just tuning in, welcome to the coolest place on earth. And if you are a repeat basic bitch, my heart is with you and thanks for coming back. This week, I have some amazing special guests with me. All the way from the Midwest, not only are these ladies an extension of my family, but they also have their very own podcast called Hair Raising Horror. These ladies dive in each week reminding you to keep it creepy while diving into horror films they've watched that week. Full of laughter and all things creepy, this is a must listen, you guys. So make sure you check it out after this episode. I will post a link and you can check it out on all podcasting platforms. So please welcome to the show, Zelina and April. We are Hello. so excited to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us on. Yay, I'm so happy you guys are here with me this week. How is everybody doing? Uh, we're great, yeah, you know, but mind you, you know, we like to drink for several hours before we tape our <laughs> podcast. And so it, we're probably on hour three right now. So just wanted to <laughs> forewarn you. <laughs> Fantastic. I forgot to tell you guys earlier that I was drinking with you earlier. So, <laughs> so, so just out of curiosity, do you guys know where Riverside, California is? Are you familiar with we like, do. Yeah, we're, we're from California. We're from California originally. I know we've just kind of connected as family, which has been super cool. I, we've enjoyed getting to know you and um, just adore you. But, you know, we we were born in California. Yeah, both and of us so, were born in California. Yeah, so we just moved to the Midwest when my mom remarried when we were little. 
Yeah. And so I do yeah. remember mm-hmm. you guys telling me that, but yeah, like, have you guys, did you guys ever like visit there or do you guys? Oh go yeah. Every summer. <laughs> every summer. And then I lived in San Diego for several years and, nice. you know, so yeah, we go out there frequently. We still consider ourselves. Yeah. We still have family yeah. out there. Oh yeah. Nice. Very cool. So, well, we'll talk about Riverside for a little bit with our listeners just to kind of put it on the map for them. Um, Riverside, California was actually founded in the early 1870s. It is the birthplace of California's citrus industry and home of the Mission Inn, which is the largest mission revival style building in the United States. I didn't know that. Um, (laughs) Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) It is also home to Riverside National Cemetery and UCR, which is the University of Riverside. So I would say my personal link to Riverside would probably be the place Castle Park. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's an amusement park, right? Yeah, it's like the small scale amusement park, not as big as Knott's Berry Farm. Um, but I love it. I take the kids there and they have this like pirate themed water park in the summertime. It's like super cool. Oh, that yeah. Cause fun. you can see it from the highway. Yeah. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. Totally see, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was cool too. The last time Mike and I went before we went on a ride, I think he scored like 50 bucks. It was just like sitting right there on the stairs. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> no you don't pick those up haven't you seen those on facebook they've got drugs on them or something and oh, it knocks my... you out you know so somebody Actually, can steal you you know funny, <laughs> funny that you say that too because mike was like oh we shouldn't pick this up you know it's probably some kid that like dropped their money you know it's going to be bad karma and then i can't forget what happened but some sort of like 50 dollar bad karma happened like a week later and i was like <laughs> i was like shit should have listened <laughs> so mike's the good one in the relationship huh yeah i guess so <laughs> he's a nice one <laughs> i guess i share all his good stories what the hell is wrong with <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so our story begins with william lester south he was born on august 20th 1950 in torrance california which i'm sure you guys know where that is too yeah we actually have family that lives there yep (laughs) there we go even more familiar (laughs) so the suff family actually decided to move to the paris like riverside area in the early 1960s and it was said that william's father was an electrician and his mother was a stay-at-home mom and another random fact I always like to throw in, his father liked to play dr- drums in like a country western band. I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> you know, know. What's, what's funny, I think about that, is because Torrance now is mainly um, Asian culture, right? Like yeah. that lives there. Yeah. yeah. And so to hear that he's playing in a country western band, I'm sure it wasn't back in the 60s or whatever, or 50s. But yeah, right. kind of, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I throw it was a little uh, odd little thing I always read. I always like to throw random facts in there. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, William was the oldest of five kids, actually. And his brother, Kenneth, described him as like a typical friendly older brother. 
They that's would, the, what they always do. Look, even on yeah. the news, he was so nice. Or he was <laughs> the nice guy. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Um, mm-hmm. But they, they, he described, you know, they would get in fights as like young sibling boys normally do. But it was always considered like messing around. Nothing was ever too violent. Um, the brothers actually recall too, like their home life wasn't troubled. Uh, they didn't get in trouble a lot, and there wasn't abuse in the home. So pretty much a normal childhood and I bring this up because one of like the main staples behind kind of like serial killers or people that have this background is they do normally come from some sort of like traumatic childhood you know that's Mm -hmm. normally like the mo behind a lot of this so to read this about him was extremely interesting you know that he kind of just grew up normal Well, and you're also looking at like, you know, I have a PhD in psychology. You're looking at the nature versus nurture theory. Yes. So is is a killer naturally born or are they made into a killer? Ah, Mm -hmm. true. Yes. And that's a a whole nother subject we can really get into. So (laughs) Um, when William got into high school and he went to Paris Union High, he wasn't the tallest or the coolest kid in class. He was actually short and stocky and was described as socially inept. Um, He got D's throughout high school and graduated in 1968 at the bottom third of his class. Uh, I guess during high school time, too, his father and mother decided to divorce. And it looks like it was more of like the father leaving on the end. Um, So it unfortunately forced the mother to be like a single parent and go on welfare um, later half of his teen life. Um, which I'm thinking they threw that in there because it probably made it a little bit tougher for the kids in the later right. life. It changed, the, it changed their social status, and I'm sure, right. like the, how you know confident they were going, you know, and, growing up in school. And I feel sometimes too, like the teen age is such a detrimental and right. really, they're really affected. An, yes, very impactful age. Mm-hmm. Um, so after this, William decided to enlist in the Air Force, and this was in 1969. And that same year, he married his first wife. Her name was Terrell Rose. Um, and he was sent to Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, are you guys familiar with Fort Worth? Because I'm not very much. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, he served only around 15 months. Um, as an aide in the pediatric ward of the base hospital. Um, It was described that his marriage with Terrell was kind of a wreck. Um, William was often jealous uh, because his wife was younger than than him. She was 16 at the time that they were married. Wait, wait, wait. What year was this? This was... This was, in, this was in 69, uh-huh, and she was 16 when they got married, so he was oh obviously over the age of 18, yes. Right. And a lot of the times he would accuse her of, like, cheating, you know, because she was, like, a younger girl, and this obviously mm-hmm. ended in a lot of abusive fights. Now, so I said he only served about 15 months, so it was said that he was discharged from the Army in December of 1970, but the documents are sealed. So we don't know like why he was actually discharged. I only read that in court, like later on, he did explain that they were honor. It was an honorable discharge and that he was actually never mandated to see a psychiatrist 
after. Well, just, you know, though, my husband was in the military serving, and they don't seal those when they're honorably <laughs> discharged unless they really work like, you know, in secret ops and stuff like that. And it doesn't sound like he was. So I have a feeling that right. there's something. They, they, saw, they saw the crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They were obviously covering up something. And obviously in the military back then, it's the last thing they were going to do was reveal right. some sort of that what are you talking about the army wouldn't do that (laughs) 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 um so after he was discharged the couple actually decided to stay in texas and he decided to pick up like odd jobs first he was like an ambulance aide uh he was a delivery truck driver and even like a parking attendant his wife terrell uh, was working as a waitress and a telephone operator And like I said, the Suffs were far from perfect, um, but things seriously took a grave turn on September 25th, 1973, when the Suffs' two-month-old daughter, Janet, was found dead on the floor of their apartment. Oh. Yeah, this was their second child together, actually. It looks like they had a boy first, and his name was William. So... It's reported that William came home and found the infant on the floor. But the crime scene showed investigators something different. Ready for this? Besides the blow to the head that actually killed the poor two-month-old child, she had pre-existing injuries that included 13 broken ribs, a fractured shoulder, extensive bruises on the face and arms, a bite on her abdomen, and a cigarette burn on the sole of one of her feet. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I, yeah, like, I couldn't believe it when I read it. Like, she's two two months old. Two months old. How do you even, I mean, that's really shaking baby syndrome and throwing them on the ground. I mean, literally, that. That's ridiculous. But you know, that it, ha- it happens more often than you think. Right. Because mm-hmm. I have a friend who actually adopted her two cousins and the youngest child, there's two of them. And one of them, this happened to her and she had been choked so bad that her esophagus was collapsed. Oh, oh my, my God. So she had to learn. She was like two or three months old. And he said, the abuser said, which it was her father said that she had fallen off of the uh, changing table. That was his excuse. You you know how many new parents out there too, they can't deal with the crying crying, and screaming. And Mm -hmm. and, honestly, I've always felt that people should have to get a license to be a parent. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just something that it's, it's a hard thing to deal. And here are these people who would be wonderful parents can't have children. And yet these people that are assholes that, you know, crazy, they're (laughs) crazy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, can have them five at a time, you know, it's like, geez, Louise. Right. And good Lord knows what happened prior to them calling or whatever it may be, how long that baby actually endured the abuse or, you know, and pain that suffered, you know, I mean, yeah, I just, uh, it's just awful. Um, Both of them were obviously arrested, and it took a jury less than a half an hour to convict both of these sickos. Um, Sad thing, though, things got worse for William, and I'm saying it got worse for him because he learned that in January of 1976, so this is only three years after they were both convicted, his wife, Terrell, was actually being paroled. 
So oh, she turned on him. She turned on him. Yeah. So, <laughs> I gave him up. <laughs> somehow she got out of her stuff. And then she, of course, filed for divorce. And they both and informed him, too, that they were both losing custody of their, you know, first child, William, who was actually mm-hmm. around four at the time. And it was really lame because he wrote this letter to his ex-wife, Terrell. And in the letter, he stated, Divorce is the second worst word in the human language. The first is goodbye. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what a dramatic little twat. Like, right. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, he was clearly so upset, you know. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of crazy. So, again, this is going to, this mind blowed me a little bit more because it would be another 10 more years but they eventually paroled William on, on the crime that he did. And he was paroled in 1984 and he was not allowed to stay in Texas though. He was told to move back home to California. So thanks, Texas. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate like, He's it. your problem now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this time William would end up in the Riverside area, but more particular, he ended up here in Lake Elsinore. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's kind of as interesting when I was doing the research for this episode because this dude literally lived right down the street from where I live now. Oh, wow. oh my god. So real close to home. <laughs> like real close. So like back in the day it said that um so when he had moved back in 84, he had moved here to Elsinore and that he got a job at like a convenience store on Main Street. And Main Street is literally down the street from my house. So mm-hmm. and like in 86 to 89, apparently Main Street was known for like prostitution in the area. I guess that's where kind of like all the girls used to hang around and socialize. And today, if you were to go down Main Street, it's kind of like run down still. You know, it's been neglected by our city for years. But the one thing that we've kind of kept up with everything are the cool restaurants. There's been like quite a few that have gone in and out of there. Um, But there's a couple like now that me and Mike actually really go to that are awesome. So it's kind of weird to be sitting down there now going, man, this guy definitely walked through these streets or sat, you know, at one of these tables. Now is the the the, uh, prostitution uh, gone now from that main street or are you like um, eating and looking out at at girls it's like, like Vegas <laughs> they're passing you the little card I mean it's definitely not got the exception you know and there's def- I definitely don't see like hookers walking down the street like LA, <laughs> like LA but definitely is where like our homeless you know <laughs> <laughs> our, hang, our, our homeless definitely hanging around so i'm sure i i, I, I let's just say that i'm not going to go down to main street at like 10 o'clock at night and go walk down <laughs> maybe 9 45 but not 10 <laughs> <laughs> not even 9 45 dude <laughs> um but yeah so anyways it was just kind of weird reading all of that so um Anyways, he worked around the convenience store for a while. Eventually, in 1989, William got a job as a government stock clerk in Riverside County. Now, he worked in like a warehouse. He worked as a warehouse clerk. You guys aren't going to believe this. He worked as a warehouse clerk 
that delivered office furniture to like law enforcement agencies. <laughs> With so, a felony record? No, like, yeah. So meaning he was like face to face with law enforcement on a daily basis during all well, of this time. I think somebody, I think somebody lied on their application. You know what? Actually, upon thinking that I'm pretty sure that like law enforcement agencies like that hire people that have like records and stuff because they know they can't get a job, you know, so they already know that they have them kind of like on tabs. So it kind of like didn't surprise me that he scored a job working like that. Like, I think that's, a, that's something that like this place obviously knew and maybe they were like, well, you know, this guy's like on parole. We better keep like track of him. So maybe. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah. That's I, don't true. Know. I don't know, but it was quite a few years after he was paroled too. I mean, he was paroled in 84 and this was five years later in 89. So. You- and things were a lot more lenient back then too. Yeah. yeah. Right. They weren't exactly doing like background checks. And if it's been five years and he had like five years of employment working at like convenience stores or like whatever it may be in the area, maybe he just got freaking lucky (laughs) Um, but the crazy thing about this was the time that he was working um obviously officers don't put all this together like right away but there was a time that law enforcement officers actually recall using william suff's desk at his work like basically they were like oh we need to get some furniture and hey can we use your phone real quick we got to make a phone call about this case that we're working on well the case that they were working on happened to be the cases of the missing prostitute women in the area so it's almost like he had a first hand on what was going on with the crime and that's how he was able to keep from being I mean yeah probably you know and it was probably something that they didn't put together yet so the first report of cases started around January of 1988 and this went until January 1991 and I'm kind of brushing over this real quick and saying that there were 12 murders that were reported in and all around the Riverside County area And all of them apparently were female prostitutes. But what struck most of my interest that's going to bring this story all together for everybody is when Detective Bob Creed comes into play. Now, I met Detective Bob Creed when I watched the episode Real Detectives. Do you guys know that show on the ID channel? Yeah. Uh Yeah, I like that show. So it's season two, episode two of William Lester Suff. And it's kind of like the point of view from the law enforcement officer, which I dig all the time. Um, And so when he comes into play on the case, they have now hit 15 victims in the area. All are prostitutes, all are female. And this lands us at about March of 1991. And this is also, too, when Riverside County law enforcement bring Bob Creed in and they implement like a giant task force. They're like okay, we got to figure out this shit that's going on right now. And at this point um, in the game, they were able to put all of this together from the killer that they knew so far. Okay, so, so far they knew that the killer liked to mutilate his victims. He liked to kill by strangulation, and he also liked to rape his victims. But he was kind of like a modern-day Jack the Ripper a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's... You know, kind of a Mm -hmm. copycat almost. 
um, or even like BTK, I even thought, like Rape Torch. Yeah, yeah, BTK was, yep. Mm-hmm. Who was from the from Midwest. From here, from the yeah. Midwest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they also knew from the, like, the previous crime scenes, the, from the evidence that they collected, that he had a tan cat because they found animal hair fibers that they were able to test. And they also found fibers from a red sleeping bag. So they assumed that the killer possibly was sleeping out of the vehicle they they were using, or they thought the killer to be single, or they thought maybe the killer was even married or living with somebody, but that person must have worked nights because a lot of this was happening throughout the nights kind of to give him the freedom of nobody like watching him, you know, like a wife being home, being like, where the hell are you at? You know? Mm-hmm. so it was also said the law enforcement also described that they thought the killer was to be like a very overpowering person because they knew that he would move his female victims um, they know that he would kill them in one place and then carry them to another location so obviously somebody you know of muscles had to do this it's really hard to drag a body or move right. a body um, and, and also too, they only found one set of shoe prints, um, around the area. So they only assumed that it was just one person working. Um, also too, you know, this is the early nineties. So unfortunately DNA was still in its baby stages at the time. So law enforcement really had to do like a good fucking job about collecting all the stuff on the scene at the time. And well, you know, and then too, they didn't have the same guidelines back in the nineties. So it's amazing how many cases they, you know, messed up yeah, because right. of this, it didn't catch because of it, but they're opening all that shit back up now, you know, yep, yeah. because, because they kept all the DNA. Yeah. From yep. all. And now they're yep. starting to be like, okay, let's test all this, you know? So it's actually super cool how they do all of it. Um, but you know, one of the weirdest things that I, that I found in one of the victims was that the killer in the case had inserted a 91 watt light bulb. Now, I guess this was back in the nineties, a particular type of light bulb. It wasn't Mm -hmm. exactly found everywhere. Um, but he, he had, yeah, cause that shit will blow up your (laughs) Right. Like, oh my God, can you imagine? Oh, you're light, 91 watts. <laughs> well, he happened to insert this light bulb into the vagina of one of his victims. And the coroner was pretty like shocked by it because it was completely still intact when the coroner did the examination. <laughs> And oh, look at this. That's a big area. Yeah. <laughs> if it didn't break, to the prostitute. Either that, or they said it. T- they said it takes like careful consideration. So, like, did he do it while she was alive, or you know, or maybe he was like getting kinky with her and did that, and then strangled her. Who knows? That, you know, you know I mean, we obviously know he liked to mutilate too. There was a lot of mutilation found. Maybe he was hoping it victims. would break. Oh, yeah. Maybe he was hoping it would break. Oh, right. Yeah. Who knows? Huh. Interesting, though. Um, But victim number 16 in this case um, was the one I felt that pretty much broke this case kind of like wide open. This was the case of Kelly Hammond. 
Um, Detective Bob Creed and his task force were diligently working on the case when they came across uh, Kelly Hammond. And Detective Creed actually realized that he knew this girl. So he used to see Kelly walking around every morning with her mom around the neighborhood. So he thought, hmm, this is really weird. I know this victim. Then as he was going back and looking at the other victims in the case, he also found another strange coincidence. He came across the case of Carol Miller. And when he decided to look where her body was found, he realized that there was also another really familiar place with him. As she was found in a field, and this field was actually attached to his grandfather's property. So it was, so he used to go there and visit his grandfather on that property as a child. And then years later, when he becomes a detective and starts working on this case, one of the, one of the girl's body, Carol Miller was found on his grandfather's property. So it's kind of like two coincidences that this detective had. And I think like, it really like had this detective's like head spinning Uh, Because he talks about it, like, in the show, you know? He's like, dude, was this guy, did he know who I was? Like, was he he aware of, like, what we were doing as law enforcement, you know? And at this this point, they didn't know that he was working, you know, in in that warehouse. So they had no idea how close of a connection everything all really was. Um, They knew they, they still couldn't figure it out and they knew that they needed, it was like time crunch at this point um, for the law enforcement task force. They were like kind of freaking out um, because they were like, if we don't find another, like we find him soon, there's going to be another victim on our hand. So how, how often was he killing? So I think he was killing every couple of months at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so the one thing that they never had really were witnesses in the case, except for the case of Kelly. Kelly, the night that she went missing, actually was out with her friend, Allie Whitecloud. So Allie Whitecloud ends up becoming one of the only witnesses in all of these cases. And here's Allie's story. Allie says that her and Kelly went out to that fateful night and they decided to stop at a bar and have a few drinks. When they were there, they were sitting at the bar and a man started, a man that was older started to chat with Kelly and was getting friendly. Uh, He was chatting more with Kelly than he was with Allie, but you know, Allie kind of was chiming in there and, you know, supporting her friend. Eventually, all three decide to leave, and it was Kelly in particular who wanted to leave with this man. Now, Allie obviously had her crime junkie smarts on and was like, (laughs) this isn't a good idea, friend. I don't think you should leave with this stranger, but I'm sure you've all been in the position. I know I have where you've had friends that are like, please just let me go. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Don't worry (laughs) about it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh So sure enough, I think that's what ended up happening. And Allie let Kelly go off with the stranger man. 
Um, no, man, our, our mom, our mom beat into our heads, stranger danger. Yeah. You know? I know. <laughs> you don't go. Yeah. Anywhere. You don't leave with anybody. You don't know. <laughs> I know. Me too, man. I'm the same way. Like I still say like, if it's a creepy, if it's a little old lady and she's like, Oh, Trisha, can you come help me with my groceries? Nope. <laughs> I need help in the back of my trunk. No, old lady. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Hell no. You. <laughs> looks like looks like your milk's gonna spoil because I'm not helping. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because I'm the same way. And so's April, and I'm like, man, people must think we're like assholes because. And, but it's like we do so many of these stories. And this is how it starts, people. This is how the bad horror films start, right. you know? Yeah. You know, somebody who you think is perfectly innocent Innocent. and you want to be that good Samaritan. Uh uh. Nope. Yep. <laughs> Don't do uh, it. Exactly. And obviously, this is something that Allie comes to regret to this very day. As unfortunately, Kelly was found the very next day, you know, dead. Um, but Allie had more information to this story than we thought. You see, Allie was smart enough to actually like go up to the guy's vehicle before they left. And she looked inside and happened to notice that he had a van and in the back of his van, oddly was a red sleeping bag. And then when Allie also went to police, she provided the clothing that she wore that night and they were able to remove tan cat hairs from her pants. So they knew damn well that this was now connected to the man that they were looking for. The guy that killed Kelly is the guy that's been killing all of these women. And they knew this. They just didn't know who. And they kind of didn't know where to start. But karma has a lovely way of coming around because on January 9th, 1992, William Suff was driving and made an illegal U-turn. He was stopped by police officers, and when officers decided to search his vehicle, they found a bloody knife and, like, objects of what they believed to be related to some sort of crime. Eventually, so he got sloppy. He got, yep. he got sloppy. sloppy. But and this is, a lot of the time, this is how they're caught, yeah. is by doing something stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he literally and, just making a U-turn, but then obviously yeah. didn't, he decided to just throw all his murder shit in the back of the you know, car. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like what I do with my leftovers. Eh, I'll get it in the car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so eventually, William Suff was charged with 12 counts of murder and one attempt of murder. Um, I tried to read, too, who the attempt of murder was, and I couldn't seem to find it for some reason um he went to trial and they did you know they obviously went through the whole you know victims and all of that one of the things that i wanted to mention to you guys that i was reading um of all the court proceedings this was really disturbing they say that they think william like cut out one of the breasts of one of his victims and he was actually known to like um be this like famous like chili cooker Oh no! Oh, sh- <laughs> and he was a cannibal on top of being a murderer. Yeah, so I guess that year he had won the like chili cook off in the area. Oh, and, oh! And they think that one of the breasts of the victim was actually used in the chili. 
Oh, <laughs> Apparently, it was well, never they, never verified, but those were like the claims. There's uh, so many horror films that do that as well. One of my all-time favorites is it's called Motel Hell. Oh, I've never I don't seen know if it. you've ever seen it. And this man has this like award-winning summer sausage, and and he has a pig farm. But behind the pig farm is like this garden, and the garden ha- has all these human beings planted in the ground. <laughs> That he, he tenderize feeds them, force feeds them, and all this tenderizes the meat and then oh uses my. that meat, yeah, to make the summer sausage. And it's oh. award winning. It's like, oh, oh my gosh, he just took Kobe beef to a whole nother level. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you know how they massage the cows and stuff? And yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what he was doing. It's like, oh, massage your victims. <laughs> if that was the case, I would strictly feed my victims only like bacon. Steak <laughs> and goat cheese. <laughs> I love whipped goat cheese. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, also, too, you know, while they were going through some court stuff, a, a win for forensic evidence. I always like to throw my forensics in there. Um, they did find some forensics evidence that linked him to two of the murders. Um, and that forensic evidence was found like in his van. So that was kind of cool that they were able to sweep the van and at least be able to link him to two of the murders. Um, but obviously, you know, with that and along with a slew of evidence, it didn't take yet again long for a jury to convict William of 12 counts of murder. He was sentenced on July 19th, 1995, and he was given the death penalty. Good. Mm-hmm. Even though he was only charged for 12 counts of murder, people believe that William was actually responsible for up to 22 killings. He currently awaits death row in San Quentin prison to this very day. He's still awaiting? Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. I, and you know what? I really looked into that too because I was like, no, I don't see any date of death. And yeah, he is still there. So he is actually one of the pardon ones right now you know because the governor (sighs) took away our death row so he's technically not on death row right now which is just completely insane to me that amazed me we were just talking about that on one of our episodes that we truly believe you know that's how they could clear out the prisons you know get rid of them i mean they're horrible horrible people why waste taxpayer money right yep exactly i know i just don't even get it so but it's crazy. Um, if you guys want to finish up the very last of this with. Sure. Even though we can't name all the victims names, we can name some. This is for Michelle, Charlotte, Linda, Martha, Linda, May, Kimberly, Judy, Christina, Daria, Carol, Cheryl, Susan, Kathleen, Sherry, Sherry Ann, Kelly, Catherine, Delilah, and Eleanor. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. I hope that all of you enjoyed this week's episode of Tuesdays with Trisha. Did you guys enjoy it? Yeah. We did. Thanks for having us on. It was great. Yeah, it was really good. Yes. I mean, it's interesting. You know, you definitely take it and you 
tell more of the serious aspects of it where we make fun of more of, the, you know, on our show. But it was interesting to hear all the statistics and everything that happens with this. Yes. You know, I love you guys because I just love listening to you guys banter back and forth, you know, like because while, you know, true crime is, you know, really serious, we all got to keep a funny good sense of humor about things you know so and I always love telling you guys new stories and everything so good I'm glad you enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> we love your show we love listening to it and enjoy hearing yeah. your voice every Tuesday <laughs> and I love hearing you guys every Saturday so please don't forget to check out my girls Zelina and April on hair raising horror every Saturday thank you hey, real quick that's that's yeah. horror, H-O-R-R-O-R, not W-H-O-R-E, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. So check the script again because I just corrected that. <laughs> That's awesome. I literally saw it and I was like, why did it, why did it say that? Like, uh... <laughs> oh, it's too funny. Oh, it's too funny. <laughs> Love you, girls, so much. Thanks again. Love you, too. Really Thank do. you. Until yeah, next definitely. time. No, say it again. Say what you were going to say. Oh, I was just going to say thank you so much again. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Until Mm -hmm. next time, see you next week on Tuesdays with Trisha. Don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. And don't forget to wash your hands. Stay safe. And don't forget to listen to Tuesdays with Trisha. Oh, thank you.